Welcome to the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast of Drizzling the Bar on craft cocktails. I am your host, Louise Solis, and with me is my very, very talented friend who is complex, balanced, and sometimes bubbly. The mixtress DC, Gina. Hi, Louise. <laughs> Nice. nice to see your shiny face on such a gloomy day. It is a little gloomy here in the it, D.C. It, area. It is. Such is spring. It is. Yeah. yeah. Those, uh, well, it's not May, but those showers, April showers bring May flowers. Yes, yeah. Yes, It's the That's roaring, it right? Yeah. Roaring lion goes out like a lamb. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. A lot of things I'm not sure about, but I am sure that I'm excited for today's guest. So. I know. I know. This is good. But yeah. first, let's, you know, since, you know, we talked about you being complex, balanced, and sometimes bubbly. <laughs> Speaking of great wine qualities, it's a common misconception, which I know you know, that screw top wine is cheap wine. We've not true. Not true at all. Whether it's a cork or screw top, this time of year, the warmer weather, it just calls for wine. Graduations, weddings, Wednesdays. <laughs> Gloomy afternoons, yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it, it, bottles are often open to ce- celebrate the good things in life. And, it, you know, it started in ancient times. And some of the oldest documented wine festivals, they actually be traced back to Greece and uh, Greek celebrations around Dionysus, the mm-hmm. god of wine. And, but, you know, it wasn't until early Renaissance when travel became common. It was actually something one did. Um, and their arrival would have been marked with wine, and often it was the host's best wine because they have a guest. Yeah. Which, please note that when I come to the house again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, the tradition grew with the rise of, the em- of empires when royalty wanted to, you know, show off how powerful they were with these great feasts, which would obviously um, have plenty and plenty, 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 plenty of wine flowing. And this kind of surprised me. Um, it was the British royals and their love for champagne that actually made champagne be the drink of choice when it came to celebratory moments. What year was that? I don't have that in my notes. <laughs> but oh, it was their love is what they say, according to the research. Um, and But here's something I wasn't like surprised. the 1600s? I mean, I, thought, I don't yeah. know. I don't okay. know. That. We'll, have to, we'll have to Google that. Maybe we'll know that before. Maybe I'll put that in the episode notes by the time yeah. this airs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, did you know that Queen Elizabeth, every night, she ends the day with just a bit of bubbly. Wait, which one? The Queen Mom or her? Queen Elizabeth II. The second. The second. Um, I would well, she's pet that's it. That's the that's the key to life. Drink wine and champagne yeah. and you don't die. Yes. Congratulations. It, well, she also is the longest reigning English monarch in history. That's what I'm so saying. So she can do whatever she wants. I have fully I have vested my life. <laughs> To the bottle. So I am in. <laughs> but I have a question for you. What, what happens to the rest of this bubbly? Because you know the queen doesn't, well, maybe she does. This says one glass. But if she doesn't drink the whole bottle, who gets the rest? Because you know it's only going to be the best of champagne. Well, there's only 45 people that take care of her. So I feel like one of them gets maybe a sip. <laughs> That's my, I want that job. No, I don't. So speaking of celebrating all things that bring joy to life, bring me to today's designated drinkers. Okay. I've been wanting to have this episode for so long. Yeah. They are Father Finch of St. Peter Catholic Student Center at Baylor University and our returning guest, Rabbi Drew, of the Jewish Drinking Show. Welcome to the show, Father Rabbi. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's good to be back. Great, great. So, Rabbi Drew, you've been here before, so I'm going to start off with you because you are actually the one who shared the scriptures with me the other day. Mm-hmm. Please tell our audience about where wine is, how it's mentioned so many times in the Bible. 
and how it just it's about the celebrating life. Yeah, so wine is uh it's it's probably the most frequently occurring beverage mentioned at least in the in the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament and the very first occurrence appears in Genesis chapter 9 with with the story of Noah sort of discovering vineyards being the first ever to plant a vineyard. Wow. And uh well, it takes him by surprise actually. <laughs> and uh but it, but wine is it flows throughout the Bible. It's sort of the the celebrated beverage of the Bible. That's awesome. I can agree with that. What about you? I mean, yeah. <laughs> Who's going to argue that? Well, Rabbi Drew knows, but uh, Father Francis and I grew up Catholic. But my mother grew, My mother worked at a Jewish community center as um, as a bookkeeper. So I went to I went I went to Hebrew school because my mother worked there. And then um, when I went to kindergarten, my mother dropped me off at uh, St. Vincent de Paul Catholic School. So. I have. Uh, I, I feel like I have a nice, like uh, a nice little, well-rounded uh, education here to talk about it, and that's why mm-hmm. I, I've devoted my life to the bottle instead of any religion. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're we're getting ready now for um, my daughter. Where my my children are both being raised Catholic, so we're in the Lent season and and getting ready for communion. So it's kind of very nice. So, um, Father, this is the first time you've graced us with your presence. Can you uh, please tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself? Oh, sure. Um, well, grateful to be with you all. Um, I'm a native Texan, grew up here and uh, went to college at uh, Texas A&M University and um, uh, incidentally became a Catholic while I was there. Uh, and um, shortly thereafter, um, went to the seminary, which is the only, only thing that's taken me out of the state for very long, went to the seminary in Columbus, Ohio. Spent the first two years of my ministry in uh, a large suburban parish in North Austin, and then just past this past summer, uh, I moved here to St. Peter's at Baylor. So we're uh, almost finished with my first academic year here. Wow, that seems like that would take a lot. <laughs> that working with college students must be challenging, I'm sure. Well, it has, it, you know, it has its challenges, but it also has its uh, delights. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Absolutely. Um, and just to keep everyone uh, where they need to be, Rabbi Drew, can you please tell us a little bit, um, our listeners, about your podcast? Absolutely. So I run the Jewish Drinking Show, which began in fall of 2019. And I just published the 99th episode uh, wow. just this week, at least the week of the 14th. Uh, I'm not publishing during Passover. So if this is airing on the 21st, it's not, but the night, the 99th episode, uh, just finishing off a few Passover related episodes. So directly tying into our topic today. And, um, it's, you know, it's such a wide variety. Obviously there's a lot of biblical stuff, a lot of rabbinic stuff, a lot of Jewish holidays, history, a lot more archeology span even. So it's a wide variety and it surprises even some of the guests, how much there is in Jewish wisdom, history, tradition, and more about drinking. A lot of people don't think about <laughs> Jews and drinking. They don't put the two together, but there's actually a, a very rich history there. Wait, no one's ever said that about the, the Catholic religion. They're like, oh, the priest, there he comes, you know? <laughs> I don't know, Father Fanch, you've heard that, I'm uh, sure. Yes, indeed. My uh, my daughter is going to make her, her communion, and we're learning all about the tabernacle. And um, she said, is that where they get the wine? I was like, no, that's where they put the host. And she's like, is that the person that seats you? I was like, no, it's not the person that seats you. Because so, she grew up different in a restaurant. Host. I own restaurants. That's yes, right, it's just so host. funny. But she puts it all together, and I started dying laughing. And we're sitting there in a class, and I'm like, 
I, I couldn't control myself with laughing. And I was like, this is so funny. But I love <laughs> how she did it and how she puts it all together. And I think um, that's the beauty of, of religion in general is like you, you take the context of, you know, what it is and you learn your traditions and, you know, and you put it into modern times and your settings and it sticks better. You know, that she'll always remember that. She'll always be like, oh, I made a joke. You know, she's a little girl. So I feel like that's a um, it's a good thing. Out of mouths of babes. Yeah, it's a good thing. It All is right. a good thing. It's you you have a lot of notes things. here, Louise, so tell me what we're going to ask. Because <laughs> I feel like I'm going to go on a tangent. It's not going to be good. You go on a tangent? No. Uh, no. So, Father Finch, you said something when we talked earlier about shepherding during the time between crisis. What does that mean? What do you, What do you mean when you say that? Yeah, I mean, we use a lot of different images in some ways to describe the art, the art, and I would call it an art in some ways more than a skill or a technique, the art of pastoring, of taking care of uh, people's spiritual lives. We use lots of images uh, in, in many ways like, like the Bible does to describe these kind of complex things. So uh, the gardener or the shepherd or uh, as, as my, title, uh, my title indicates, father. And all of these are just descriptors of particular manners of accompanying. And I, I, I mentioned accompanying last time, especially yeah. accompanying through crisis, but sometimes it's accompanying folks through what you might call the crisis of the ordinary. I mean, the spiritual life, uh, there has many ups and downs, but sometimes it's uh, not especially up or down, but it seems down because it's just ordinary. There's nothing especially extraordinary going on, and that can get um, that can make someone perhaps feel like they're doing something wrong or not paying enough attention to their spiritual life or something. But this notion of accompanying is... Um, you know, acknowledging the dignity and the uh, and nobility and autonomy of each person that uh, that comes to us for pastoral care, and the goal is to walk with, if you will, to walk uh, with someone toward somewhere. Uh, of course, we we believe that to be heaven, but I use this term accompaniment uh, intentionally because it's it's not meant it's it's meant to be a mutual relationship. It's meant you know I learn so many things from the people. That I that I'm entrusted with uh, taking care of their spiritual lives. I learn many things, and in some ways, they they form me and make me into a into a better pastor. So I, I think that's sort of what I what I mean is that this we're we're sort of in it with these people. We're not um, it's not sort of a bird's eye uh, you know kind of view in which we're moving a bunch of pawns around. This is uh, feet on the ground and uh, and and living with. Our, our people in the midst of whatever they're going through. It's interesting. It's interesting to hear you speak about the fact that you learn just as, you know, as you go along. Um, you would hope that all of us, it's, it's what is interesting to me is it's, it seems so common to me. Absolutely. I hope I'm learning from the people on, on an ongoing basis and, and learn from the people in my life. And as my life um, moves and changes, um, it's just, it's, um, I don't know why it surprises me to hear you say the same. Um, but yeah, makes it um, relevant to all of us. Right. Yeah, I agree. Right. I, I was not raised Catholic, so there, I still I have so many questions about religion. Well, you should, well here's, they're here. <laughs> Rabbi Drew, I have a question. So I want to say, so, you know, they say shepherding. Uh, Rabbi, is that like, is that the same term that you would say in the Jewish religion? Do you say shepherding like the same way? Because I feel like that's not exactly the same. I, you know, I might have heard it once or twice, like, 
throughout all my years. It's not typically used. I don't think people use it to describe, but I like the idea of walking with people and, and certainly maybe more in a pastoral sense. Um, and certainly I've, uh, that there's some, that resonates a little bit for me, although I don't know that people typically, at least not in a Jewish sense, use that necessarily so much. But I don't know that it works against it. I, I like it. It can work. What do you use? <laughs> no, I feel like there's so many similarities, but I want like, you know, it's fun to have um, both of you on the same podcast because just to talk about like so similar and so different, but like, you know, like personality wise of like, you know, you know, providing um, guidance to those that, that choose religion. Because a lot of people, you're, you know, and this is, I, I'll just say it, you know, you're fi- it's people don't choose religion anymore as, you know, as where they look to turn for in crisis, where they're, you know, they don't, they're, they're trying to like do something different. And I think that like maybe the pandemic, and I, and I don't know if, if this is true, but I know a lot of people really began to question what they've been doing all this time. You know, like the pandemic being home, what am I doing? I don't even know my family. I don't, you know, I got away from everything. Mm-hmm. You know, even online um, online uh, uh, church, uh, all the, the viewership was up. And and, we're, and that's just crazy for attendance. And now that um, in, in our community, you know, people are coming back to it that haven't been. Hmm. And, and I know some of my friends, Rabbi, literally have started going back to temple and started being re-engaging. Hmm. So I'm, I'm asking, and maybe it's because they have children now that need to start making their bar and bar mitzvahs, but I'm not sure, <laughs> but they're part of their community again. Mm-hmm. And this is, and my age group of friends ranges in the 35 to 40, 45 year old range. Mm-hmm. Thank so you for that. So do you think like, as you know, like, is there something to this? I mean, the obvious answer is yes. It's just how to answer the yes. I have two totally different answers. The first of which is sort of reevaluating one's life. I think the reevaluating that's been going on the last two years is markedly different than the post 9-11 reevaluation. I think mm-hmm. 9-11 forced people to really think about their lives in a totality. I think what's gone in the last two years is, I think, been more focused specifically within professional realms, although it might go to your work-life balance uh The other thing is when it comes to guidance, I think there are various realms of guidance. I mean, one is sort of just some spiritual, emotional, some, you know, uh, you know, I need help. I'm trying to figure things out. And certainly in my day to day life, working as a chaplain at a senior living facility, there's all sorts of, you know, support, certainly in the last two years that I've been able to offer. There's another type of guidance, um, which is more of a, I think maybe a more rabbinic Jewish one called halachic guidance of sort of Jewish practice. Rabbi, how do I, like, how do I do X, Y, or Z? Oh, well, here's some like Jewish practice guidance. So it's not so much, you know, spiritual or emotional guidance. It's more of just a practical, um, I don't know, maybe a religious sort of thing. Um, there are probably other buckets of guidance as well. Father, do you see the same thing? Have you seen um, what Gina's talking about? Have you seen an influx in, um, um, people finding their way back into the church? Sure. Um, in some ways, I, I can't answer this question in quite the same way as Rabbi Drew, <clears throat> because I don't have any other crisis to compare it to. I was in third grade when 9-11 happened, so I wasn't... Uh, I wasn't uh, wow. He just I played the youth card. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I'm in my I'm in the first assignment where people have been able to make me feel old, you know. So, uh, but um, but but I say that only to only to emphasize the fact that I don't really have another big crisis to compare it to. At least I wasn't thinking that way mm-hmm. at that time. Um, and I've also now been in two different environments in the wake of the pandemic. I was in kind of a, a, a big suburban a parish with lots of families, and certainly I experienced that. Uh, there, the way one of my uh, one of my my secretary at the parish put it once was, um, Father, it just seems like a lot of people are remembering God. Mm. It just seems like a lot of people are remembering God because we had, I mean, people were asking a lot of existential questions, especially if they had family members or friends who were really affected by things. Um, in um, interestingly, in campus ministry, um, uh, the younger folks have been very interested in uh, sort of. Uh, moving on uh, with with life, and they have become keenly aware of the kinds of things that they were missing about, you know, the kinds of things that, that really make life enjoyable and the kinds of things that are good for our psychological and emotional health and our spiritual health. I mean, because uh, spiritual life, the spiritual life is not meant to be lived in isolation. It's meant to be something that's communal. And so there's a at least uh, in in my campus ministry here, there has been a great appreciation for the opportunity to gather together for worship and for meals and these kinds of things, uh, and the appreciation has been you know more than just lip service. This is something that, of which uh, they were deprived of for a while, and there's a, a great appreciation for the opportunity to be able to 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 share life with um, you know with with their brethren. Yeah. Yeah, with anyone. <laughs> um, yeah, after two years of isolation, absolutely. It'd be that's an interesting thought. I ne- I didn't really think about the fact that, um, I mean, obviously the pandemic caused many of us to pause and rethink things. Use the word I hate the most, pivot. But still, even within your personal life, I, yeah. Yeah, but religion became con- a little. So this is gonna sound. <laughs> please don't. This is not insulting. Religion sometimes becomes something that, like, when you have, like, children and stuff and you're shuffling everybody around, it's something like you're like, oh, I can't go to church. I don't have time to go to temple. I have to do this. I have to do that, right? Do you think that putting every like putting everything online, because it remains online, um, I don't, and temple as, as well as um, mass, and do you think that now that it is online, it makes the convenience of being part of maybe what you grew up um, with, you know, going to church with your family when like Sundays and Saturdays were the day of worship and like, and Friday nights. Um, and you did all of those things and now you, and now you can return in a more convenient way. And do you think that that's something that like is going to change? Do you think that that you're going to, that the churches are, the churches and uh, the temples are going to have to adapt to that new world? So I, I, you know, what we've learned over the last 25 months, there's been a lot that's changed. And the question going forward is how much of these changes will remain with us past these first 25 months of, of at yeah. least in America, that COVID. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think more broadly speaking, when it comes to these sorts of interactions, I think there are pros and cons. You have trade-offs. The obvious advantage of doing online stuff is, hey, convenience factor is huge. You don't have to travel somewhere. You don't even have to wear pants. Exactly. You don't have to wear (laughs) pants. 
<laughs> but the the obvious the, the obvious uh, loss con the, you know the con pro and con the con is that the it's just such a diminished experience. It's not the same as having in person interactions, Absolutely. and that's just it, it's such a huge loss. And I think I I don't know what's going to go on in the future, but I imagine certainly a lot of people have been. Very hunger, hung, I want to say hungering. They've been incredibly thirsting for in-person <laughs> interactions and experiences. And I think there might be a rubber band effect of people saying, look, we've had enough Zooms. We've yep. had enough you know, Microsoft Teams, whatever it is. I want to have these in-person meetings, interactions, experiences. And I don't know how that's going to affect services online or otherwise, but um, that's just me and my crystal ball. I would agree with Rabbi, uh, pros and cons to both. I mean, one of the things that became very apparent is that uh, we're, you know, we're embodied creatures. And so in the Catholic, in the Catholic uh, understanding of worship in particular, it's supposed to be something that is sort of an entire person experience. It's not, it shouldn't solely be an auditory and visual experience, but it's something that involves a touch and smell and so on and so forth. It involves our whole person, and it involves our whole person with other people, with uh, with fellow believers. And there's only so much of that that can be uh, that can be replicated or that can be um, transmitted, if you will. There's only so much of that that can be transmitted virtually. So, I mean, we've been trying to capitalize on technology. I mean, uh, you know, of course, uh, the famous. Catholic Bishop uh, Fulton Sheen and his famous show in the uh, in the fifties and sixties uh, was a great catechetical endeavor, and it was, you know, it was one of the most popular shows of the time, and uh, so that's a great uh, a great advantage of something like um, uh, television or now you know live streaming via the internet and so on, but uh, but there's something that's lost some aspect of the connection of the of the real total total human kind of connection that happens when we gather and worship with our entire person. But I think there's some, so I want, I, I, I mean, I, I think this is an opportunity for both religions to bring, you know, you're saying that, that worshiping in person and gathering together is really important. And I think it's an interesting way to almost remark, it's going to sound not right, but like it's a business, <laughs> but religion is a business, all right? Running, Running services and churches and temples and stuff is a business, right? You need to have people come to the show. To, they have to come. They have to buy their tickets. They have to give. They have to contribute. They have to do these things. How do you take that togetherness that you're that everybody wants to be together and put that back into their spiritual life? How do you reintroduce spiritual a spiritual to, to feed your soul? Let's feed your soul wherever. Whoever your soul needs to be fed, but how do you how do you do that and get them to come back then and 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 repl- and start to re- and and replenish themselves as well as as put the seats inside um, for services or for a mass and just to, to make them be together. How do you remarket that to be more inviting? I yeah, guess yeah, I would say reinvigor. Yeah, reinvigor. And, and but I think that like I, I saw a big thing at least in my community, of people doing it online. And maybe it was something to do or reconnection. But I know a lot of my friends still skip mass and still do. They do it online. Yeah. And it's not like that, you know, Father Rob or, um, you know, everyone in my community can tell who's there. Yeah. But they do contribute and contributions are up. 
which is what it needs to be to run a church. My mother was a bookkeeper for um, the Jewish Community Center of West Hampstead in New York. So I know how much it costs to run a facility. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes, indeed. So for me, when I when I look at it as a business, I mean it from a from uh, big proud eyes of what that what that means um, to continue to continue for the next generations and to to fill the other side of the human uh, psyche. So I guess there was no question. Is there a question? A question. I was waiting for it. what was the question. I think the question is how do you do it? How do you market that? Do you have any ideas to that? I, I think you start this podcast called the Jewish Drinking Show. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you bring it to to, to people? Like in real life, um, when it comes to these things, first of all, I want to make a distinct, a distinct division, even just for Jews. Orthodox Jews are not going to go online for Shabbat for the sap for the Jewish Sabbath, so or holidays. So, for Orthodox Jews, it was never an option uh, to go online for services. But for most most liberal Jews, it's fine, and they do that. Um, I don't know how those have been going, but I can tell you, it's also interesting. We were talking about embodied in person experiences that. I can tell you certainly early on in the pandemic when like my local synagogue was having services, but we weren't doing uh, kiddish where we would have food and so forth after the services on Shabbat on the, on the Jewish Sabbath, it was not the same experience. But once we've gone back to having kiddishes in person, it's such a, a, a greater, it's such a much better experience being in person, yeah. getting to, to schmooze, to, to chat over uh, eating, sometimes drinking. It's definitely nice to have that sense of normality returning. It's definitely great. At the other, on the other hand, even throughout the week, it's really great. We were talking about feeding the soul, right? So I was thinking there are still online classes taking place. And even though people might be geographically limited in a physical sense, you can still more easily now hop on and connect uh, listening to classes, talks, and other things that might nourish one's soul. I think those, who knows if they're here to stay, but certainly those have, have continued throughout the pandemic and are certainly elevating for people's experiences. Again, I would uh, second a lot of that. I mean, these are the kinds of questions we grapple with, or that we are grappling with very actively in pastoral ministry is how do we help people interiorize this this entire, this total, this uh, experience, especially if they're not able to be physically present or something along those way, along those lines? Or how do we draw folks back in who maybe uh, haven't haven't come back or something like that? I mean, there's any number of ways, uh, but it, it's always got to be personal. So if it's even if that's virtual, it's always got to be personal. So the personal invitation, the one-on-one conversation. Um, these kinds of things are are one of the. It, they're just they're they're in some ways irreplaceable. Um, nonetheless, I mean, it does happen that I'll have people. It happens here at the student center with some frequency that a a student will show up who I've never seen before, and they'll say they'll say that I'm here because of uh, some some video I watched by some uh, famous Catholic apologist, or I'm here because of some uh, some article I read by some. A Catholic bishop or something like that. That's that sort of thing does happen, and it happens with some frequency. Uh, and then the opportunity to help them interiorize that is right there in my office. Right. That that's what that personal experience is the bridge between that virtual experience that they've had and then the continued practice of their faith. Um, and some of that can continue to happen virtually. I, there's a priest who who helps me out here some who's out in California. And uh, he comes about twice a semester, but 
the rest of the the rest of the year, he meets with my students virtually if they if they want to meet with him regularly, and I'm very grateful for that. And it, it's worked very very well. Uh, they meet one on one and are able to have a, a conversation about whatever is going on in the student's spiritual life. So, again, it's that personal uh, the personal which can happen both virtually and in person, uh, but but the personal cannot be absent. Yeah, I get, I get, and I guess it depends on what you're looking for out of that the interaction. Because if you're, if you have somebody present, even though it's across a virtual setting, they're present as present as one could be in that in that standard. Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering, what would your avatar look like in the meta then? <laughs> what? That's the next space. Oh, meta. Oh, meta. 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 But um, oh after that silly, silly um, thought, I think um, we should break for your tech talk, Gina. What do you think? You yes, ready? Yes, yes, absolutely. So today's is going to be really simple. Um, you know, you everyone's seen a juicer. You're like, you go to the store and you're like, I know how to use a juicer. I'm really great at doing juicing. I don't need somebody to tell me how to do it. I bet you, if you do poll five people, that you would literally get the answer four times wrong and one time perhaps correct. So today I'm going to show you how to juice using a hand juicer. So correct thing to do is you're going to take your fruit and you're going to cut off the ends. One and two. And you're going to cut your fruit down the center. Now, you have this big, large piece and you're like, I'm going to match it up with this part in the front and it's going to fit in nice and easily. And that's what I'm going to do. Wrong. You want to flip it so the large side or the center is face down. And now the smaller part is touching the um, top of the squeezer. And this is how you're going to get the most juice out of your juicer. So here we go. One, two, and three. And you're going to push it. And then the last trip, trip, the last trick is to take it and you're going to just give it a little tilt on the side. So that way you don't wind up with juice all over your counter. Uh, well, uh, Gina, that was uh, a bit juicy, if I will. <laughs> if I may. Do you feel freshly squeezed? Yeah, I do. <laughs> so so it's a very simple thing that is it's gonna make a world of difference when someone goes to use their hand juicer. So we'll just go with it, you know? Good. Celebrating the citrus of life. Yeah, and not will. wasting it. Yeah, that's not whatnot. I know, but I love that smell of uh of the citrus. Anyway. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, that little juicy bit brings us to the end of part one um, with Father Finch and Rabbi Drew. But again, our listeners are just like you and me. One round is just never enough. So for our listeners, please be sure to top off your drink and check out part two of this episode as we continue our boozy banter about celebrating all things good. And Gina shares her delicious recipe, Rabbi Drew and Father Finch inspired. And she's going to show us what you do with all that good juiciness. Yep. <laughs> the Designated Drinker Show is produced by Missing Link, a podcast media company that is dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is Roger That, a podcast dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia, led by skilled caregivers Bobby and Mike Carducci. Now, if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy the theater, check out Between Acts an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and everything in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows. Your review helps our shows reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, 
visit missinglink.company. That's missinglink.company.